Blog Talk Radio. My Savior forever, 
You know, if God hears the cry of our heart before we open our mouth. Let's go to him this morning in prayer. Let's ask God to meet with us today. Robert, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. You can be Everywhere he leads me, I would follow. 
Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. When the storms are sweeping and the dark waters blow, with his hand to see me I will never, never fear. Danger cannot fright me if my Lord is near. Follow, follow, I would run deeper. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow. Down in the valley, upon the mountain steep, close beside my Savior was my soul ever keep. He will lead me safely in the path that he has trod, up to where they gather on the hills of God. Waiting, 
They got mad at him. They got, they got all scary faces and got up in those places and told him, you know that again, we're going to get you, you know, whatever they told him. And uh, so anyway, they let him go, and they went back to their company of people, the, the those who had been saved. And remember, at this time, what started with about 120 believers went on the day of Pentecost is now blossomed into about somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 believers. So the church is growing exponentially. I mean, it's growing like like wildfire. And why is it growing? It's growing because they're all filled with the Spirit of God. I don't go show you what can happen when a church gets filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, people start getting saved everywhere. Church starts growing like crazy. And what happens when that happens? The devil gets angry. And he starts putting persecution against the church, trying to stop it because he don't like losing ground. And so we're going to pick up right there in our story. And uh, I ain't figured out yet what scripture I'm gonna, how much scripture I'm going to read before I pray. I may not read any. But uh, I want us to look. Again, we, we, saw, we saw them resisting by, by simply not – they didn't stop preaching Jesus. They told them, don't you mention his name. Don't you speak again in his name. Don't you dare speak under his authority again. And they said, you know what? Let me just read what he said. It'd be easy to just read it. Verse 18 of chapter 4. Well, actually, verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Y'all figure that out. Who should we listen to, you or God? He said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You're not going to shut us up. We're not going to quit. We have got our, our, our mission from God, and we're on it, and if you kill us, all you're going to do is send us home. We're not afraid of you. So we've seen, again, the persecution. We've seen the resistance. This morning we're going to look at something totally different. This morning we're going to look at when sin entered into the church. But I want us to, I want us to start there in verse... Uh, where did we read down to last time? Verse 31, I believe it was. We're going to begin there reading in verse 32. And we'll read down through verse 37. We'll pray and we'll pick it up and we're going, to, we're going to go beyond that this morning. But I want us to read down through there. Verse 32 and following Acts chapter 4. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, 
and laid it at the apostles' feet. And let's stop right there and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, what an honor and a privilege it is to be your child. And Lord, beyond that, what a privilege and honor it is to be a preacher of the gospel. Lord, to stand behind this sacred desk and preach the word of God. What an honor and a privilege, Lord, you bestowed upon me. And Father, I pray today that you fill me with your spirit. Lord, please forgive me of any sin in my life, Lord, anything that would hinder, anything that would hold back the power of God. I pray you cleanse me and forgive me. And I pray, Father, that you would absolutely control me today. Speak through me. Lord, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice. Lord, that you forgive their sins, that you cleanse them, that you fill them with your spirit. Lord, that you make them able to receive the things that are spoken today. Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone listening to us, whether in person or on the Online, Lord, that may be lost without Jesus, Lord, I pray today, with the day they come under the conviction of sin, under the conviction of the Holy Ghost, Lord, realize their sin and send them to hell. Lord, they realize today that Jesus is the sacrifice for sin, and that by faith they'll receive him as their Savior and get born again today and have it settled for all eternity. Lord, I pray you bless me now. Help me to preach. Lord, put your hand on me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right, and, and, and where we started there, in verse 32, it said, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now let's understand what we're talking about there. They had one heart. The man says, well, the Bible says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So we believe with our heart. So what does that say? They all had one heart. They all had one belief. They all trusted Christ as their Savior. They were all washed clean from their sin. They all had faith in Jesus. They all relied upon him for a home in heaven someday. They all had the same belief. The Bible said they were all of one soul. Well, what does our soul do? Our soul wills things to happen. I want to do this. I want to do that. That's what your soul says you want to do. So with their soul, they were willing that God's will be done. They were all of one soul. They all were believing on God, and they all were seeking God's will to be done. And the Bible said they had all things common. You know what that tells me? They had one mind as well. They sought the common good of one another. I've told you this before, but I'll share it with you again because we got visitors in the house this morning. When a person got, when a Jew got saved, when a Jew came to Christ as their Savior, and still today even, when a, when a Jew gets saved, their family disregards them. They disown them. They throw them away as if they were a piece of trash and they want nothing more to do with them. They write them off as a, as a dead person. And so they, if, if, they had, if they had favor with their friends and their family before, they lost it. Oh, if they were, had business and had a whole bunch of customers, they lost them. They lost their ability, many of them, to make an income. They, 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 they were not in a good position financially. Uh, many of them, maybe, maybe they, they had to leave home. Maybe they had to move away from family. They had nowhere to stay. There were a lot of needs that came up. And so you had some 20,000 Christians, and all of them had needs, some greater than others. Some were wealthier than others. 
So what you find here is that instead of instead of uh, looking at it and say, well, I got all my stuff over here, and I'm sorry about y'all over there, they looked upon each other and said, hey, we're in a dire situation. We need to help one another. There's something like that in the medical field now that they do, and I don't know if any of y'all ever heard of this. Well, some of you may have, but one of them, one of them's called Samaritan's Purse, and that's it, it's it's like health insurance, and it's 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 for Christians, it's for believers, and what what you do is you pay in a certain amount every month, and if you have a medical bill, you simply send in your medical bill, and and from all the other payments that are sent in every month, all that money goes to your bill that paid. It's like insurance without an insurance company. They all everybody contributes to the common fund to the common good, and that's what these believers were doing. Um, but providing for one another. First Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it as it hath pleased him, because they were all members of the body of Christ. We're all members of his body if we're saved. And so all the members of the body were taking care of the other members. Ephesians four twenty five, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So again, Following Christ's commandments, uh, following following the teachings of the Lord, that's what they were doing. Ephesians 5.30 tells us, it says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. So they were, again, they were all trying to take care of one another, and that's why they were doing this. They didn't have a political belief of communism or something like that. In our set of circumstances, people, they pitch in, they help one another. That's That's what neighbors do. That's what people used to do all the time. Somebody had a need. Everybody pitched in and helped them. That's what they're doing. They're just being considered and Christ-like. All right, verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Hallelujah for that. Amen. When the Holy Spirit of God is controlling a believer, they, they fulfill the will of God, which is to witness to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our job as a Christian is to be a witness, a herald of the gospel. And the Bible said, and great grace was upon them all. In the midst of persecution, great grace was upon them all. Though they were threatened on every side, great grace was upon them all. I was reading the words of a pastor, a missionary over in Afghanistan this week. He said, we all expect to be with the Lord sometime later this week. You know why he can say that without being afraid? Because great grace is upon him. God's grace is sufficient, even under the threat of death. God's grace is sufficient. Verse 34, he said, Neither were there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Those who believed, it says. Those who believed. This is a true church full of believers. All of them genuine believers. They're all in Christ. They're all the real thing, the real deal. This is a congregation of believers. This is the purest, truest church of real believers you're going to find. They all have one heart and one soul. What that means is literally the heart and soul of those who have become believers, they all become one. They all have exactly the same goals. They're unified. 
so that it's such a unity, not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property and the rest of it. Again, it's not communism. It's just saying that they didn't hold on to anything. They realized they were passing through this world, that they weren't in this world to build a kingdom that's going to last forever, so they realized that the things of this world are just passing things. They all understood that it all belonged to the Lord. Amen. We're just stewards anyway of what we own. And it was all to be used for His honor and His glory and His people. And that's the perspective that every single one of us ought to have and view that every one of us ought to possess. It comes right down to it. Hard times may be coming here in this, in this country we live in. And we may all have to go back to something like this. <clears throat> they loved each other. They rejoiced in each other. They were humble before each other. They were selfless. They were sacrificial. They weren't preoccupied with their own needs, but they were preoccupied with the needs of those around them. I mean, you got to think about this. They didn't have any thought of preserving what they owned. Hanging on to anything. They held it real lightly in their hands. Willing to give it to the Lord to be used for whoever had a need. Verse 36 and 37, we read about Barnabas there. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation of Levi and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought, it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, in verses 32 to 37, we see here the sharing of the saints. Okay? We see how, how wonderfully they're, they, they love one another and they're sharing everything with each other to make sure everybody has enough. Verse 32 to 37, we see that. But we're fixing to turn the chapter, the verse to chapter 5, and we saw we've seen the sharing of the saints. Now we're going to run into the sin of the saints. Now I want you to understand these: the, the disciples they were they were holy, they they were they were, they were heavenly. I mean, they were following God. They had the power of God on them, and they all seemed to be ex, just exceedingly good Christian people. But there was hypocrites among them. There was, and those hypocrites' hearts weren't right with God either. They got baptized. They took upon them the form of godliness, but they denied the power of godliness. So they, they, they were in their flesh. They were trying to serve God in their flesh. Oh, so many people fall, fall into that trap. Not only were they serve, trying to serve God in their flesh, but they were trying to win the praise of the disciples, trying to, you know, nudge in there and get, get the best place, get the top seat. Everybody look at them like they're something. That was the problem with two people we're going to talk about this morning. These people we're going to talk to, they, they, came, they came to that, when Jesus met with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler came to him, you know, and he said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. What do I lack that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor. Okay. They run into that problem. 
And even in doing that, they found a way to be shamed. Even in trying to do that, they were shady and they did wrong while they were appearing to everybody else to be holy and benevolent, okay? I want you to understand, there are people like this in churches all over America. Those who want to see and be seen and look good before men, they're not worried about how they look before God. There are people like that in churches. Now, having said that, I wouldn't quit going to churches because there are people like that in churches. All right? I ain't got no money on me or I'd pull a handful out and show you what I was going to tell you, but you had, like you had five $20 bills in your pocket. There's a chance one of them's counterfeit. I can't tell you what percentage chance there is, but there's a chance one of them might be counterfeit, but you wouldn't throw away all five of them just because you afraid one of them might be counterfeit, right? So you don't throw away church just because there might be somebody in there that's a hypocrite, amen? Amen. I always say, come on in. we got room for one more, amen? Everybody's a hypocrite becomes right down to it, amen? Ain't none of us walk perfectly before God always. <clears throat> but anyway, let's get into this. Now that passage I was telling you about with the rich young ruler, let me read it to you. Matthew 19, 21 and 20, uh, 22. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the, rich, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now I have to give it to this young man. At least he was honorable and walked away. He didn't pretend to be something that he wasn't. And the wonders that the apostles had worked up until now were miracles of mercy. But now comes a miracle of judgment. And here is an example of severe discipline following the example of goodness. Why? Because God must be loved and feared. God's not to be loved and, and run over. So we're going to look this morning. We're going to start there in chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. We're going to look at the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. Let me just say this before we get started on this. It's good to see a husband and a wife coming together and joining together and doing something good, but to join together in evil, it's being like Adam and Eve. They agreed together to eat that forbidden fruit. She ate it and handed it to him. He could have said, nope, that's on you. Bye. But no, he didn't, did he? He took it and he ate it and he joined in it with her. And they were they became one in their disobedience. Well, so did Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Now let's read. Let's read the scripture and we'll get down to it. All right, verse chapter five, verse one through eleven. I say, well, let's just we'll just walk our way through it. We'll walk our way through it. That way we won't have to do twice as much reading. Number one on on, on this before we get in, we'll get to verse one here in a second. But I want to tell you that that their sin was number one. They were ambitious of being thought distinguished disciples. They were ambitious to be seen as something important. First rank, top notch. And the truth of it is they weren't even really true disciples. Now, they were saved. I, I, I believe they were saved. I believe they probably got saved on the day of Pentecost. But they weren't true disciples. They would pass for some of the most fruitful trees in Christ's vineyard, but really and truly... The roots were rotten. Acts chapter 5, beginning verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, 
his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. That kind of sounds like what Barnabas did. They, I think they were. I think they saw Barnabas do that, and they said, "Hey, everybody sure did praise Barnabas when he came in and did that." Did y'all see how proud they were with him? Everybody thanked him and patted him on the back. Okay, well, let's sell that piece of land we got, and we'll. We ain't got to give them all of it. We'll just give them a little bit of it. We'll tell them it's all of it. Bible says he kept back part of the price. So they want. First of all, they wanted to be something that they weren't. And the second thing is that they were covetous of the wealth of this world, and they they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God to provide for them. So they they kept back part of it. They hung on to it. God, evidently their motive was wrong to begin with. They didn't have to do it to begin with. We'll look at that too. I'm getting ahead of myself. He said they kept back part of the price. Again, money is not ever your friend. It's just a tool. First Timothy 6, 9 through 10, the Bible says, But they that will be rich, or they who live to be rich or want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I'm going to tell you something. A man who spends his life chasing a dollar will likely wind up in hell. Because I'm going to tell you, you can't chase a dollar and follow God at the same time. I didn't say he'll land a man in hell for sure, but I'm saying he'll likely land in hell because more likely he'll miss the cross on the way because he's chasing after that dollar. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. A lot of people quote it. That's not what the Bible says. You, you have to have money to make the world go around and make things happen. But the love of money is the root of all evil. A man that loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. He'll always want more. The richest people in the world, you know what they got on their mind? Staying rich and getting richer. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's where all the wars come from. It's the love of all. It's the love of money. It's the love of money that sends a, sends soldiers into a land to destroy the people of that land, the government of that land, so they steal their resources. It's money that drives the that, that drives the industry of, of simply treating people and not curing people. You lose a customer when you cure somebody. I said their sin was they were covetous of the wealth of this world, and their sin also, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. So who was Ananias hating and despising? He was after the money. He, he was more interested in money than he was God, so evidently he's hating and despising God while pretending to love God. You see that? Their sin was, number three, that they thought to deceive the apostles and make them believe they brought the whole purchase price when really it was just the part. Second of all, this comes to this. This comes to the indictment of Ananias. Which, which, which proved both his condemnation and it brought, on, it brought him upon him his execution. 
Look at verse 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. We see the origin of his sin in this. It, it says Satan filled his heart. Satan filled his heart. It was Satan that put that temptation in his mind to say, you ought to be more powerful than anybody in this room. You're, you're a better person than anybody in here. They ought to all be looking up to you. Do something good and they'll all respect you. Don't be too good. That's the devil. He didn't get that idea from being around any of those other believers who were sold out to God and helping and loving and doing all they could for one another. He didn't get that vibe from anybody else in that room. It came from outside. Listen to me. The devil, you see the devil trying to destroy the church from outside with the pressure of the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. They tried to shut them down the outside, and they couldn't do that. So now the devil says, okay, I'll pack some of this. And that's what he's doing. Satan filled his heart to do it. We see that, number one, the origin of sin. Number two, we see the sin itself. What did he do? He lied to the Holy Ghost of God. He wasn't letting the Spirit of God work in him like the others were. They were, they were concerned about Jesus being preached. They were concerned about people being saved. They were concerned about their neighbor, the, uh, those, taking care of those around them. And all Ananias is worried about is what people think about him and, and, and holding on to a little extra money so he had something just in case. He wasn't letting God work in him. Secondly, on that, not only, not only was he not letting the Spirit of God work in him, he was trying to do the works of God in his flesh. He was pretending that he was led of the Holy Ghost. It was all a scam. It was all a big old sham. To say, oh, yes, we've been burdened to, to, to give and we want to do this. wasn't God burdened them about that at all. It was their flesh. Ananias told a lie. He told a deliberate lie with a purpose to deceive everybody there. He told Peter that he sold his possession, his house, and his land. And this is here, this right here is the purchase money, Peter. This is all of it right here. So we saw the origin. Satan filled his heart. The sin itself, he lied to the Holy Ghost. And number three, we see the aggravations of his sin. In verse four, it says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? There wasn't any temptation to keep back part. Of, there was no reason for him to, to have to keep back part of the price. He had a church of people around him who would have been more than happy to take care of him should he have fallen on hard times. There was no reason for that whatsoever. Let me tell you something. There's no need for you to ever worry that you're going to do too much for God and you're going to do without. If, if you'll simply put yourself in God's hands and you'll set out to live your life to please Him and serve Him, God will make sure you're taken care of. God will put the angels on bread and water rations before He lets you starve to death. And I look around this room and I don't see anybody in here that's in danger of starving to death. Amen. All of us look like we're pretty healthy. The second thing about this, aggravations of his sin. There was no necessity of selling the land at all. He didn't have to do it to begin with. 
He didn't have to bring the money to the apostles. There was no mandate that said he had to. No, it was simply greed. It was simply, I, I want power. I want prestige. I want to be important. I want people to look at me as I am somebody. I want them to pat me on the back and tell me how great I am. I'm sure it was both him and his wife. They sat around and just relished how the church was just going to make a big fuss over them for doing that. I have served in churches where I've seen people just like this. They were looking for somebody to pat them on the back. They weren't looking for God to be pleased. They were looking for somebody to be pleased. So again, nobody told him Nobody told him to do this. He wasn't any, under any obligation to keep back. Here's what he could have done. He could, here's what they could have done. They could have sold it if they wanted to. They could have kept back part of the price and come to Peter and said, here's part of the price of the land that we sold. Y'all can have this. And you know what? There wouldn't have been a bit of a problem. But it was the fact that they wanted to lie about it. They wanted to appear to be something that they were not. They wanted they they simply were going to be fakes and hypocrites. You know that's why a lot of people say I don't go to church because church full of fakes and hypocrites. God help us. And what happened? Oh, by the way, you know what I like to call them? They're transgressors without a cause. They didn't have to do it. There was no reason for it. They did evil for no reason. What is doing for What's having fun of it? And they want no fun in it. You're fixing to find that out. Verse 5. Peter told him these things. He said, you have lied. Not to men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He dropped dead on the spot when he heard that. Dropped dead. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Now, I want you to realize something. These, these, these two, Ananias and Sapphira, they're not villains that the church wanted to be rid of. These are people they went to church with. These are people they knew. These are fellow church members. They loved these people. And, and you know, they had all, ever since they'd known them. I mean, they, they looked at them, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this happened before the whole congregation. And they saw what happened, and Ananias just dropped dead right there in front of them. And everybody said, Woo, God didn't like that. Now you may say, Well, that's being severe for God to do such a thing. But you need to understand something. God's just in what he does. Why did it happen? Why did Ananias drop dead right there on the spot? It was designed to maintain the honor of the Holy Ghost. God intended to show that early New Testament church. You're not going to disparage me. You're not going to corrupt my church. You're not going to to blaspheme my spirit. And I plan to show you that. Now you say, well, that's horrible. God just sent him to hell. No, God didn't send him to hell. If Ananias was, was a child of God, Ananias went to heaven. I'm going to tell you, though, I hate to have been him stand before God, wouldn't you? I'd have been him show up in heaven and have to stand there before God knowing how come he got there that way. But you know the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. And I'm going to tell you something. Back in 1996, 
February of 1996, when I went as far as a person could go, I believe with all my heart I was a step away from sitting on the path. I really do. I believe with all my heart God was saying, either you turn around now or that's it. God is not going to have us running his name through the mud. God maintained the honor of the Holy Ghost. He was just poured out on the apostles, just poured out on the early New Testament church for setting up God's kingdom. And God, God said, ain't no way that's going to continue. You're not going to have the church destroyed. And second of all, it was designed to stop others from getting the same idea. Oh, we'll just take advantage of God's people. We'll just run. This is, I tell you, there's a lot of charlatans out there right now. I think I, I can name them off. Just uh, on both hands, I can fill both hands up with names of people who are just taking advantage of God's people, taking advantage of, of God's word. And you know what? They're going to stand before God someday. But I'm going to tell you what this did. The Bible said great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Now, when we talk about great fear, what are we talking about? Matthew 14, 26. The night Jesus walked on the sea, he came out there walking on the water. The Bible said they were troubled and saying, it's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. They were terrified. It's that same kind of fear. When they saw Ananias drop dead and hit the floor, they said, oh, no. Woo! That scared the living daylights out of them. Matthew 28, 4. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible said, for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became a dead man. It's that same kind of fear. That came upon him. The Bible says in verse 6, And the young men arose and wound him up. They wrapped him up in grave clothes. And they carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, listen to this, not knowing what was done, came in. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I read that, here's what thought runs through my mind. She made a grand entry. She waited at home for three hours. She wanted them to have time to talk all about all the wonderful things that Ananias had brought to them. She won't let it soak in real good where everybody got real happy. And then three hours later, she'd go press at the door and I'd say, Oh, girl, we just can't believe what y'all done for us. That's exactly what Sapphire was looking for. She couldn't wait for all the women at the church to run to her and hug her neck and tell her how great she was and how wonderful they were. That's what was on her mind when she walked in that day. And Peter, Peter was waiting. Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yay, for so much. Now, she must have thought it odd when she got there because everybody wasn't rejoicing. Probably quite quiet. And I, I'm assuming this happened on Solomon's porch because they didn't have a church building. That's where they met. See, she was found guilty of sharing her husband with her husband in his sin. And she, and she was found out. By the question he asked her when he asked her that, tell me, have you sold it for so much? She said, yeah, we sold it for that much. And then the sentence was passed upon her that she should partake in her husband's doom. Verse 9, then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and 
shall carry thee out. Now, I don't know how Peter knew she was going to drop dead. I guess God just gave him the gave him the discernment to know it. She's just as guilty as her husband. But they together tempted the Spirit of God. They uh, they they were they were uh, they were sitting at home saying, "How in the world are the apostles ever going to figure out that we've done this? How are they going to know? They can't know. Only people know is just me and you. How are they going to know? How are they going to figure out this is just part of the price? We we'll tell them it's all of it. They won't ever know. They can't the spirit of God. They said God can't God can't out us on this. How's He going to do that?" They conspired to do it. They agreed to lie for one another. They concocted a foolproof story almost. But they didn't count on God revealing it to Peter. As their lust for power, their lust for position, and their lust for greed that destroyed them. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. God just gave them a crash course in it that day. And she fell straight down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. She died right there on the spot. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now let me ask you a question. Don't you know that burial spot out there was a memorial to them? I preacher say years ago that a word of warning that was that was uttered all through the Bible times and New Testament times was simply this: remember Lot's wife. Now remember that's a short verse in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. They would tell people that when somebody was getting a little out of walking out of the way, they'd say, "Remember Lot's wife." Well, I'm going to tell you something. I think from here on out, they may have said, "Hey, remember Ananias and Sapphira." You may take you out there and show you where they're buried. You don't fool around trying to lie to God. It was a memorial of what not to do. And lastly, verse 11, it says this. It says, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. The last point is this, the impression that this made on the people. In the middle of this story, in verse 5, the Bible says that great fear came upon all who heard these things, that heard what Peter said and saw what followed what Peter said, or all that heard the story about it. And no doubt, they talked about it everywhere. And again, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as had heard these things. Number one, those that had joined themselves to the church were struck with an awe of God and of his judgments. And they had a greater respect for this dispensation of the Spirit of God that they were now under. They said, hey, God is serious about this. God, God means for us to respect and reverence him. God expects for us to be honest and straight and true and loving and represent Christ. But you know what else it did? What it didn't do? It didn't dampen their joy in the Lord. It didn't stop them from joining the Lord. It taught them to be serious about it. It taught them not to play around with God, but to rejoice with trembling, understanding that we serve a righteous and a holy God who demands 
holiness. And after this, all that laid their money at the apostles' feet, they were afraid of keeping back the price and telling any stories. It made an impact. I'm going to tell you something, folks. We serve, we serve a merciful God, we serve a righteous God, but we serve a holy God. And as we see, God doesn't play around even with his people. God sure ain't going to play around with the guilty. God sure ain't going to... Listen, God, 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 doesn't, show, God doesn't show mercy in, in the flesh upon those who are his children who had sinned against him in the early New Testament church. But I want to tell you, God has no mercy for the wicked. God has none. God has grace for all who would believe. He sent his son Jesus. He put all the sins of the world on Jesus. He had him nailed to a cross. He suffered and he paid for every sin ever committed. He died, he was buried, and raised from the grave so that we need not go to hell and burn forever for our own sin. God sent his own son and gave him to give his life for us that we might have eternal life through him. I would to God that every soul around me that's lost would come to Christ and get born again. I wouldn't want to see one single soul flip out into eternity lost. There's no need in it. We have a merciful, loving, forgiving, saving God who sent his son and gave his life for us. God's holy. If we take anything away from this message today, it's this. We need to respect God. We need to reverence him, and we need to never play around with his business. Amen? We need to be faithful servants of the Most High God. Let's stand together.